welcome to Reclaiming Rest Radio. I am your host, as always, Justin Joseph. No usual intro today, because I want to get right to something very important. I hinted at something about myself over the course of my first and third episodes. I did the same on another podcast called The Broken Vessels. Uh, That podcast is organized by someone I met on Facebook. I've provided a link to the YouTube channel of that ministry in the show notes. What I hinted at about myself is a sinful habit which once plagued my life. By God's grace, that habit is now broken. And despite the challenge of doing so, today I wish to be more transparent about it. I will also tie what I share into a highly related topic that is very heavy for me and my sisters in Christ. Before I continue, I wish to be frank about the content of this episode. It is not for the faint of heart. What I share might shock some of you, but please know that I'm not sharing for the sake of shocking. I'm also not doing this just to air my dirty laundry. I actually hope to avoid unnecessary and unhelpful details. I just think there is much value in being open and honest about sin. I believe God uses our doing that to encourage others. I believe that encouragement includes giving others hope in their battles and struggles. On the flip side, I believe Christians do one another a disservice by hiding these sorts of things. I think the church is harmed when Christians act as though they aren't sinners. That said, it might be in your best interest to stop this right here and now. If you don't, you will digest transparent comments related to how believers are affected by evils like pornography, objectification, and purity culture. If that would be too much for you, I urge you to stop this recording. Again, it is not my intent to be over the top with what I'm going to say. It is not my intent for what I'm going to say to be overkill. 
I just understand and appreciate that for topics like this, every person's threshold is different. Okay? Don't say you haven't been warned. Uh, to briefly offer a couple explanations of terms I just mentioned, uh, first, I would submit that purity culture is a system which turned purity into an idol. I believe it has Christians worshiping purity. I believe it has Christians worshiping virginity, especially on the female side. I also believe it has Christians convinced that the other sex is a threat to be avoided. A second explanation. Objectification is viewing human beings as nothing more than body parts, usually for sexual gratification. Okay. If you've chosen for now to continue to watch and or listen, I thank you and I commend you. Uh, I think your doing that is not easy, no matter what. And for what it's worth, I sincerely hope to handle this effectively. Just as it isn't easy for you to watch and or listen, it isn't easy for me to share this. It's a sensitive and uncomfortable topic. It's a topic which no one enjoys discussing. Nevertheless, I hope to still achieve my ongoing goal of encouraging my brothers and sisters to look to Christ and the gospel and find your rest there. Shall I begin? So, I exposed myself to pornography when I was in second grade. Now, that wasn't long after I believe Christ drew me to himself. And yes, that is terribly sad. Now, what led up to that is not important. Now, even so, I don't think you ever forget something like that taking place, whether you're a boy or girl. My first exposure happened in the basement of my childhood house. I believe it took place during the late evening of a day during the weekend. I watched a sexually explicit movie for the first time. I saw features of the female anatomy, which are usually not visible in public. 
I witnessed what I now understand to have been simulated sexual activity. And something that I think is interesting, neither my mind nor my body responded to what I watched in any kind of sexual fashion. That might have been because I had not experienced puberty yet. To me, it was just things I had not seen before, and I was fascinated. Something else. You might have heard the phrase, boys will be boys. Well, there was another boy down the street. We were neighbors for most of my childhood and teen years. One evening, I was again in our basement, and the two of us were online together. That was in the days of dial-up internet. That boy used Yahoo Messenger to send me links to pictures of a celebrity woman. I think he had a crush on her or something. I don't think I encountered that woman myself before that evening. I think the pictures were designed to attract attention. That's often the case. But I'm thankful that there was no nudity in them. Activities like those two continued throughout my childhood and teen years. Before I go further, I wish to urge you to not think ill of my parents. They had faults and are sinners, but they must not be blamed for my sin. And that train of thought will come up again later. Fast forward, I turned 18. I graduated high school and was accepted into the only college to which I applied. I moved out of the house and out of the state to attend that college. Something I did prior to that was purchase a laptop with my savings. If that immediately stands out to you, I doubt you'll be surprised by what I'll say shortly. For the time I had that laptop, it was my personal computer and what I used for much of my college work. I lived in an apartment which was maintained by a third-party agency associated with my college. And it did not take long for me to get into more sexually explicit stuff. I'm thankful 
that I did not mess with it every day. But even once was too many times. And the same goes for what I exposed myself to in second grade. Brothers and sisters, it is painful to know that I've witnessed a lot of sexual exploitation. Most of it, I thankfully don't remember. I don't know the number of women I've seen being exploited, or the number of men, for the matter. But I'm sure it's a lot. And it probably won't surprise that I engaged in sexual activity with women I dated. Much of it was limited to kissing. In a way, I'm thankful for that. Even so, it doesn't change the fact that what I did was sinful. I sincerely hope that those women have blocked me out of their minds. And I hope they're with men who respect them. I hope they're with men who care for them. I hope they're with men who love them. And I say those things not having any sense if they were Christians then. And if they aren't now, those hopes still apply. Now, despite the fact that sexual sin feels good, inside, I was a mess. I was miserable. I hated myself. And despite liking that the sin felt good, I wanted freedom badly. I could not tell you the number of times I promised God that I would stop. After doing it again, I could not tell you the number of times I begged God not to hate me or kill me. I could not tell you the number of times I tried the New Year's resolution thing. <laughs> this might sound strange, but one thing which comforted me was Easter. Now, for a time, I thought the holiday gave me a clean slate. Brothers and sisters, I knew my habit was sinful. I knew it was destructive, but I didn't have a clue how to deal with it. And that's partly because I was terrified to tell anyone who might have been able to help me. I tried that a couple times when I was younger, but 
just didn't work out. Okay. Time to begin shifting this into what I hope is encouragement territory. One day, next thing you know, my phone rings. Ironically, it was that boy who lived down the street from me. That phone call started the chain of events which led to where I am now today. I rem remember little of our conversation, but I do remember it somehow coming up that I wanted freedom from a sinful habit. I did not identify it specifically. But by the time we hung up, I had agreed to start going to church again. I had not done that since I moved for college. <laughs> I ended up driving on a Sunday morning to a cemetery of all places, to meet the guy's mother-in-law. She and her husband lived in the area and were members of a local, independent, fundamental Bible church. I followed her to the church building. I attended the Sunday school, which I remember being a pleasant experience. I don't remember much about the service which followed, but I distinctly remember the guy's mother-in-law introducing me to the assisted pastor. All that happened in 2008. And given what I'll say later, it's worth mentioning now that I started my career during uh, the summer of that year. Now, to be clear, my having started going to church again did not change my habit. It stuck with me. Out the gate, I think I attended the church for several weeks, but it didn't take long for me to become sporadic. And I eventually stopped going because the guilt I felt for what I was doing was probably the most intense it ever was. Even just thinking about it now gives me a nasty feeling in the pit of my stomach. It felt like going through the motions to go to church. It felt like a waste of time and energy. However, the following March, something I never saw coming happened. The assistant pastor of that church reached out to me privately on Facebook. He expressed having missed seeing me and hoped all was well. 
If it isn't obvious, all was not well. Now, I can't explain why, but somehow his having done that caused me to believe that it might be my last chance to deal with my sin. The two of us ended up scheduling a one-on-one -on -one meeting on a soon-coming Tuesday afternoon. I worked that day, and if you can imagine what it feels like for your heart to pound non-stop for half the day, that's how it was for me. On that afternoon, I was exhausted driving to the church building. And I sat across from a guy I interacted with for maybe five minutes total in my life. And I spilled the beans about my sinful habit. Doing that alone was life-changing because instantly I no longer felt paralyzed. That also kickstarted a roughly 18-month-long relationship which helped me, at least on a practical basis, to kick my habit. In August of 2009, I installed accountability software on my laptop, which was different than the one I had when I, before I went to college. And I then wanted nothing to do with being guilty of watching anything sexually explicit on the internet. I also destroyed a library of videos I had downloaded. That portion of 2009 started a process of healing. And the Lord began changing me in all sorts of ways. And that's not to say that ever since then, I've never been guilty of lust. Hardly. But my Heavenly Father has done much work on me. He is responsible for the fact that I now think differently about women. Very differently. He has also changed how I now interact with women. Now, you could say that how I began to find freedom was primarily behavior oriented. Uh, it must ultimately be gospel-centered. And for me, it is. Freedom ultimately comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God for salvation. That means the gospel 
produces sanctification. It is key that I know who I am in Christ. And my knowing that is God's work. It is key that I remember who I am in Christ. My remembering is God's work. It is key that I remember what Christ has done for me. That too is God's work. The Spirit's power and work are key. True change is from God. He changes me. Not any form of human discipline or willpower. Brothers and sisters, the same goes for you. Sanctification is God conforming us to the image of Christ and his law so that we love him and others. Pornography and objectification are not manifestations of loving God and others. As, as the shirt I'm wearing says, Porn kills love. And it does. And as another shirt I have says, Love can't be clicked. Just can't. And I think it's accurate to claim that God has made me a much different person than I was 15 years ago. But what I did for 15 other years of my life wasn't remotely okay. It was sinful. And it messed me up. Big time. It is awful. It is awful when a person seeks out women or men who are being sexually exploited and looks at them or watches them for personal gratification. It doesn't matter if that person knows it's wrong. It will affect how that person thinks. It also changes the literal physiological makeup of the brain. A scientific study which is trustworthy has proven that. Thankfully, the brain can heal. Still, watching sexual exploitation pounds false ideas about women into your head and false ideas about men. 
it jackhammers the natural impulse of the flesh to lust. It can get to the point where soon after encountering a person who is attractive to you out in public, you fantasize about sexual interaction with that person. I told you this would be transparent, yes? Enter again the heart-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to be an advocate for women who are sexually exploited and abused. I want to be on the right side of the porn problem. Now that's why, for the past few years, my family has supported a ministry called Scarlet Hope. Uh, I've provided a link to that organization's website in the show notes. I think we disagree on matters of theology and doctrine with workers of Scarlet Hope. But Scarlet Hope does great things to help women leave what some call sex work. Uh, They minister the gospel to such women, and they help the women have a new lease on life. Sisters in Christ, that brings me to you. I hope that you don't now see me in a negative light, but I won't blame you if you do. Nevertheless, please know that I'm sorry. Please forgive me for having been a consumer of sexual exploitation. As a third shirt I have says, people are not products. Pretty self-explanatory. Please forgive me for my contribution to systems which have done you so much harm. Please forgive me for not being the brother I should have been. I now listen to your stories of being exploited and abused. I now listen to your stories of being objectified. Your stories have exposed to me the terrible problems of purity culture. I believe that system has unfortunately contributed to the porn problem. Despite any good intentions in it, purity culture has harmed women and men.
The people behind purity culture claim that they're trying to solve the porn problem, but they've actually facilitated it. How they speak about women is plain evil. They say vicious things. They say many false things. They treat women very poorly under a false banner of holiness. And it's a plague in our church, in the church. Even if scriptural spin is put on it, objectification is not okay. That pastors and elders essentially teach Christians to objectify doesn't make objectification holy. Now, I want to speak a little more on purity culture. Brothers in Christ, that brings me to you. Please hear me out, and please know that nothing which I'm about to say is me trying to come across as having arrived, or that I'm better than any of you. I haven't arrived, and I'm not better than any of you. That said, our sisters deserve better. So much better. I think we agree that women are fellow image bearers of God. They 100% bear the same Imago Dei as we do. Imago Dei is the Latin phrase for image of God. Our sisters, along with us, have inherent dignity and worth. Now, for what it's worth, I acknowledge that our sisters are responsible for whatever sexual sin of which they're guilty. However, it is not our job to police them. Their sin is ultimately between them and our Heavenly Father. If they sin against us, it is up to our Father to deal with that. If we sin against them, it's up to our Father to deal with that. Those comments might have been mostly, if not totally, agreeable. For what I say next, that might not be the case. So, buckle up. Our sisters in Christ are not temptresses. They don't wake up in the morning and hatch 
a sinister plot for how they're going to make us stumble. They are not out to get us. They are people with lives to live. They are people with jobs to do. Just like us. An extension of that point, our sisters in Christ are not threats. They are not threats to anyone's purity. They are not threats to anyone's marriage. They are not threats to a man's masculinity. And they are not threats to church leadership. For those of us who are married, it is not the duty of Christian wives to keep their husbands sexually satisfied. It is not the duty of Christian wives to keep their husbands from sexual sin. Christian husbands have no right to demand sex from their wives. When a Christian husband and wife engage in sexual intimacy, it is the duty of both to facilitate the other's pleasure. Brothers, my bottom line is that our sisters in Christ are not responsible for our sexual sin. We must not blame our sin on what they think or how they think, or don't. We must not blame our sin on what they say, or how they speak, or don't. We must not blame our sin on what they do, or how they act, or don't. We must not blame our sin on what they wear or how they look or don't. We must not blame them for our sin, period. If any of us entertains a lustful thought about a sister in Christ or any woman, for that matter. That is on us, 100%. It is well past time that we men get a clue about this subject. We need to think about what has been pounded into our heads from the pulpit. We need to think more carefully and critically. We need to reevaluate everything 
that we've been taught. I am exhausted by Christian men who bellyache about modesty. Our sisters are also exhausted. At least the ones who don't also bellyache. And I didn't say either of those things to suggest that modesty is unimportant and is absolutely a thing. But it fascinates me, for example, that people freak out over a Christian woman wearing a two-piece bathing suit, but no one, no one bats an eye over Christian men wearing their trunks. Again, any actual sin issue is ultimately between our sisters in Christ and God. It is never a Christian man's job to demand or control how his sisters dress or how they don't dress. A Christian man's job is to love them. That is the duty of all Christians, women and men. To revisit a point I made earlier, a woman's body has inherent dignity, and it must be treated with dignity no matter what she does with it. A woman's body must be treated with dignity no matter how she presents it. Brothers, it is objectification, pure and simple, to not be able to look at a woman without being tempted to lust. The whole bounce your eyes stuff, unbiblical. Avoiding our sisters in Christ and women in general, also unbiblical. Both are manifestations of objectification. They are attempts to Correct one sin with other sins. Bouncing one's eyes and avoidance treat people as collections of body parts which exist for nothing more than sexual gratification. If you think I'm wrong, please. Defend from Scripture that God wants us to treat people in those ways. Bouncing your eyes is not the equivalent of tearing your eye out, as Jesus said. He never bounced his eyes. 
He loved women perfectly. If my claims rub you wrong, remember the Imago Dei. Remember that Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed before the fall. Brothers, if this is a problem for any of us, we need the gospel. We need Christ. Sisters, same for you. We do not need control over our sisters. Trying to control them accomplishes nothing good. We must not avoid our sisters. We can't minister to one another if we do that. And as I've declared several times on this show, I'm preaching to myself here. The gospel of Jesus Christ is what we need to treat our sisters as persons made in the image of God and not as a collection of body parts. And again, the same goes for our sisters in relation to us. We would do well to stop insisting that our sisters change. We do well to understand and embrace that we need to change. Our problem is always in our heart. It is within. Our problem is never out there. It is never someone else or something else. It grieves me that sin has done a number on the image of God in women, whether they're sisters in Christ or not. Sin has marred it and torn it down. On the flip side, I find cause for much rejoicing that the gospel of Jesus Christ provides healing and restoration. Christ and the gospel are everything when it comes to this issue. Without them, there is no hope for change, much less healthy relationships between brothers and sisters in the faith. If any of us is on the wrong side of the porn problem, I pray for such a person to seek help immediately. May we not hide in shame from our Heavenly Father 
as Adam and Eve did. May we not fall for the lie that we're doomed to be stuck in sexual sin. And may we not revile one another as we seek freedom from sexual sin. Brothers, let us love our sisters. Sisters, may you love us, your brothers. We are eternal family, thanks to the person and work of Christ. May we look to Christ always and trust his promise to change us from within.